This is really about being free to create what you want your life to look like. We each are our own hero. And how do we take the challenges that come our way and see those as the birth process of us becoming heroic? Can you meet that judgment that ultimately will surface with neutrality? This is the Wall Street Coach Podcast with Kim Ann Curtin. Hey, everybody, just a quick note that if you haven't signed up for my free ebook yet, please do so at traderdiscipline.com. You'll see a free copy of my ebook called Discipline and Finding Your Edge. Sign up today. Thanks for watching The Wall Street Coach. And if you like what we're doing here, please subscribe and give us a comment or two about who you want to see on future episodes. Aloha, everybody. Welcome back to The Wall Street Coach podcast. I have been trying to get this man, Sanglucci, on my podcast since August 2021. So I am. Has it really been that long? Really been that long. So I'm pretty excited about having him here today. Anand Sangfi, also known as Lucci, of course, is a professional large cap options and futures trader, and he's the founder and lead training educator at Sanglucci. He's successfully traded equities and options since 2006, and he launched his first hedge fund, hedge fund saying Lucci Capital Partners in 2012. Uh, he uses his story, which he'll talk about a little bit today, evolving from a Boston hustler to company founder and hedge fund partner to inspire students around the world to help them really understand themselves as traders. He teaches them the methodology that's taken him to where he is today. Welcome to my podcast, finally, Anand. How are you today? Thank you very much, Kim. I appreciate it. I appreciate you staying persistent and tracking me down. Albeit, I'm, I'm in Aruba playing at a beach tennis tournament. I can't even believe we're, we're actually still doing this. I, can, um, I, I am well, though. I am well. I'm tanned. I feel good. You know, I've been working out every single day. I feel good. Good. I'm glad. I'm, I'm very uh, grateful to you for being in Aruba and still willing to do this podcast, considering you probably need some R&R. So thank you for coming. I really am grateful. And it was such a pleasure to meet you in person at the Traders for a Cause conference. Anand was the MC of the event. And I have to tell you that I know is a really hard job. And you were seamless throughout it, remembering things from like early that morning to weave into a four o'clock talk, which I don't even know how you did that, but it was really quite something to watch. Yeah. It's a, I honestly didn't know I had that skill set until I let it loose that day, you know? And I think after that day or after that weekend, I really want to start doing it a lot more. So I might, I might have to get an agent or something. Can I, you want to be my agent? I'll be your agent, man. You got it. You were, you were just seamless. Like even in the <laughs> panel conversation that we had with Brian Lee and Shay Humble Trader and Ricky Analog, like the conversation yeah. that you weaved in from other speakers that day into that conversation, it just I think integrated for myself and everybody else there all the highlights of the day yeah thank you thank you i really appreciate it i yeah. do appreciate it maybe and that's, uh, that's a shout out because that will be available for those who want to watch it you know traders for a cause will have that available to uh you know it'll there'll be a fee a paywall behind it but it'll be worth it just to watch yeah. 
Anand in action that day, never mind all the amazing speakers that we got to listen to. So where are we today? Date-wise, we are November 16, 2022, and there's been a little activity with FTX. (laughs) I wonder if you want to start there because it feels like probably the biggest story that's, you know, taken over everybody's lives the last few days. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a good place to start. I mean, is it, it's, it's, yeah, it's been taken over. It's been taken over for a while. Now the guy, now, uh, SBF was, uh, Sam Bankman fried He's a, well, the ex CEO of, uh, of FTX. You got to remember this guy started at Jane street trading. So this is, this guy, you know, this guy was a quant, this guy was a quant and a market maker from way back in the day. But again, I say back in the day, like it was that long. This guy's like, this is a kid. This is essentially a kid we're talking about. I think he's 27, probably, if you want to check on his age. I think he's probably 27. The kid started at Jane Street pretty early. And if you don't know anything about Jane Street, I mean, this is a very well-known prop trading firm in New York City, downtown New York City, called Jane Street Trading because it's on Jane Street. Jane Street is a very cool street if you ever end up in New York City. Got some really cool, very cool brunches. The Jane Hotel is a very cool place to go to you know, for the young sort of professional crowd that is kind of like in the know kind of thing. So um, again, Jane Street, Street, that is a super uh, uh, infamous sort of uh, uh, prop trading firm. He came from there and then, of course, expanded on all his strategies. And um, these kids have done amazing, absolutely amazing for themselves, for the game. And obviously goes on to start FTX and get it gets into the crypto space and the opportunity. His specialty, by the way, was arbitrage. Wow. His specialty was arbitrage. That wow. was that was the specialty. And with crypto, it ushered in a new age of arbitrage opportunities. So, you know, if you look at the early days, even still, we have so many different exchanges in crypto. There's no SIP feed. There's no um, consolidated data feed that we have in the um you know the U.S. equity markets that basically regulates the 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 prices and the quotes for all the things that we trade, right? So if you're on Fidelity or you're on E Trade or you're on this thing and you're that, everybody uses the national best bid and offer, right? And they rolled out this rule with Regulation NMS in 2007. And anybody can look this up. You guys free look this up. You'll see everything. And that's when they created this sort of consolidated data feed, SIP feed, they called it. That way, everybody has access to the same information. And every customer that wants to buy or sell a stock, they basically get the same price, if not a better price you know, than what is being quoted. Now, in crypto, that shit doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. So you have thousands of, you know, you have hundreds of exchanges all quoting different prices. On top of that, you have decentralized exchanges, which who the hell knows what the what quotes they're throwing around. And you kind of have this world where arbitrage just came way back into the mix. So this guy was printing money for the last three, four, five years with his research company, which was called Alameda. And this was the company that eventually folded and required a lot of leverage. And this is what caused the collapse of, of FTX. So basically he was over levered on the trading side of the business and all the leverage was on the native 
token, FTT, right? So FTT was the native token of FTX. There's a ton of leverage on that. People found out about the balance sheet and that's when the Binance CEO started saying on Twitter, like, dude, I'm out, I'm out. I'm selling all of this shit. I'm selling the whole, my whole stake in FTT. And that started the panic. FTT went from 40 bucks to like two bucks. I think it's trading like a buck 50 right now. So all that leverage got called back and now there is no money. And they had billions of dollars in customer deposits that they were taking leverage out on basically. And they don't have any money. <laughs> they, don't have, they don't have any money anymore. And basically, if you had an account with them, which I did, of course, you ain't seen that money back anytime soon. The first, one of the biggest exchanges that went down was Mount Gox. This was like 10 years ago. They're still waiting for their money. You know what I mean? So yeah, that's basically what happened with FTX. What do you feel is the most important lesson for traders with this debacle? You know, they'll say it time and time again. And what they'll say is keep your crypto off the exchange, right? Now, here's the issue, right? I normally do this, right? I have a ledger wallet. It's called like a, it's called a cold storage wallet. So basically it's a, it's a drive. It's kind of like a thumbnail drive where you keep all your, your crypto. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, basically you sync it up to your computer. It, it comes with a little piece of software, the software kind of holds that crypto for you and it's cold storage, right? So it's not actually connected to any network. So theoretically, if anybody wanted to move any cash out of there, it would be impossible. So that's the best way to hold your assets. Now, the problem is, is that these exchanges got so big. I mean, FTX is on billboards everywhere. FTX is, is the name of the Miami concert venue. It's sponsors F1 racing. Tom Brady is, he's probably got a hundred million dollars in there. They penetrated every piece of cultural American society in order to function internationally, because technically it's, it's illegal in the States to trade any of this shit, but they were able to be on the regulator's good side for such a long time. It's the same thing with Binance too. You know, you kind of look at these exchanges that these were the ones that made it and these ones are untouchable, but it's the same cycle over and over again, right? I mean, human being, I feel like this is more of a human question than it is an actual, hey, this happened again kind of thing, you know, because if it's, if humans are vulnerable to the same mistakes over and over and over and over again, and we're talking about years of difference, what does that really say about the problem, right? Is the problem hey, you should go ahead and do this because there's there's cookie cutter advice you can give to somebody. Hey, don't leave your money on, on the exchange, right? Who's actually going to follow it? And by the way, to move your money out of the exchange, it's not complicated, but it is like a 10-minute, 12-minute, 15-minute possible process, right? And if it takes 15 minutes to do this and you're <laughs> running around, I have had many situations where I decided, nah, you know what? I'm not going to do that right now because it's going to take 10, 15 minutes and I don't want to, I don't want to do that. Right. Yep. It's kind of like a nuisance. Yep. And then you get used to getting away with it for so long. Then you, you know, you're like, all right, let me pocket that 10, 15 minutes. Who, who cares? This is FTX. I ain't going to go down. And yeah. And then after FTX said, all right, you know, where could put all these other exchanges that had exposure to FTX and to anything FTX related, they also started coming out and saying, hey, we're screwed too, you know, block fills. And you know, yeah. this is a company that 
so many people migrated over to in order to get like a decent interest rate, you know, like a 7% interest rate, a 5% interest rate on crypto assets. And it was supposed to be the bank of crypto kind of thing where you could take your assets and really get a decent return on them instead of leaving them at a bank, you know, instead of leaving them at a bank. And this was, you know, it was a very secure platform. Nobody really, nobody really thought anything was going to happen here. And that's going to fold too. You know, now there's options exchanges that, of course, had uh, had exposure to FTX and FTX bought that are having, you know, similar issues here. Binance seems to be the one that comes out unscathed. However, it's impossible to be unscathed in this in this whole world. You know, so, you know, the conventional wisdom is, hey, keep your keep your assets in the cold storage. But guess what, Kim? I was actively trading in FTX. And when you're actively trading. You, you got to have your money. You got to have your money on the exchange. I had to hold it there. I had an active trade Shit. that I was up a couple hundred thousand dollars on. And I was like, I was waiting for this trade to work out. And then in my head, I was like, this trade is going to, this, this trade works out. Boom. I'll cover it all. I'll cover it all. And then I'll get the hell out. And in the middle of holding that trade in one day, one day, it, it peaked to where it is now. You know what I mean? In one day, it went from we're on top of the world to we're shutting down. And while it's happening, you just can't believe it. You just can't, but you just sit there and watch like a deer in headlights. Like, is this really happening? Yeah. Is this really actually happening? Or is everybody starting to panic? Right. And then you have all the people who believe that and put serious leverage to work, hoping that it won't crash, just like they did with Bear Stearns in 2008, just like they did with JP Morgan. You know, these companies, these are banks, right? They're not going anywhere. Of course, I'm going to pick this up and. $40 $40 a share. And then tomorrow it trades at $2, you know? So it, it's, it's repetitive because I've seen it before, but I, what I'm more astounded by is humans is our ability to forget number one. And I'm talking about forget everything, like forget even the emotion that you had when you were in there in the first place. Right? So if you remember 2008 or anybody was in 2008, that means you forgot about the emotion. You forgot about how horrible it felt. You forgot about all that kind of stuff. And you just, you went for it again. You know what I mean? You yeah. went for it again. It was happening right in front of you. You still couldn't believe it. And it happened again. <laughs> you know? So what does that mean about humans? You know what else it means, I think, Kim? What? I think our um, memories are, I don't want to say they're short per se, but I think we as a collective, we tend to, we tend to forget trends, right? So 10 years ago, 20 years ago, everybody was wearing a certain type of cloth, of style, of yep. clothing, right? So maybe the men's dress shirts were like a little bit of flary, and now they're like skinny, or yep. you know, women, let's say we're wearing like high, high uh, waist uh, uh, jeans versus short yeah. sure. skirts, low, long low skirts, right, right. And then all of a sudden, it's like we forget it happened, totally, and that allows the ability for it to just come back and retake over everything. Right. Exactly. You talk about this in your free yeah. ebook, The Red Pill, which is on your website. You specifically you. talk about how all of those styles have to match whatever your style is, your trading strategy. So you're applying that now to all of us, to the whole culture. Like, pay attention to what those styles are. 100%. And you can kind of see it coming. It happens in music, it happens. You know, it happens all over the place and you, you can kind of look at these trends in different ways. But to me, they all kind of work the same way. They all kind of work based off the fact that human beings, we tend to forget. And then when we see something again that we kind of remember, 
we're all in, you know, we're all in, we're right there, we're ready to go. And, you know, and we're so ready to jump on some new shit, some new trend. We're all so ready because we're all just waiting to connect to each other in some bigger way. And that's what I kind of been realizing lately. Very philosophical what you're saying. You know, I think I think it is truly about that need to be connected to one another and to what's, you know, what seems to be the in thing, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, I can't help but think of Madoff, you know, that was back 14 years ago, give or take, where Madoff blew up. And that was that was the place to be was with Madoff. And, And what's happened with FTX to me, it's like a very sped up version of Madoff like took place over many years, but he started out with his firm that kept operating legitimately, even though he had this Ponzi scheme on the other side. So it's just fascinating. We're in the middle of kind of a a bit of a crash, right? And we've got a new Madoff with a kid who kind of- Yes, we do. Very quickly. Yes, we do. And the difference is though, is that this kid- continues to tweet. He continues to just, I don't know. I don't know what they're doing, but this man, I think they can't prove yet what's going on or what he actually did or what positions he had or how the hell it all blew up because of the complexity of crypto that nobody, you know, none of the regulators still understand about this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. This guy should be, he should have been in jail. He should have been in jail a long time ago as soon as this happened. Yeah. But he's still tweeting. He's still yes. tweeting. Yes. He's still talking about giving customer deposits back. It's very erratic what he's saying on Twitter. Like yeah. the letters. It's quite the show, Kim. It is quite the show. It, it feels almost like he is completely disconnected from being like in reality. That's how it yeah. comes across to me, which yeah. perhaps is what happens at certain levels. You just lose sight of reality indeed Indeed. so keep us in reality of course we're going to go over to twitter space in a few minutes but for the traders who are sophisticated who are listening who likely lost their own money as well what is the advice to them about navigating crypto in the future decentralized finance like where do you stand on just how to go from here Honestly, it's if you've been in the game because it's happened before and this is the way that it's usually gone down, it's just not in such epic proportions here. This is business as usual kind of thing. This is business as usual. Bitcoin is still has still has a ridiculous amount of utility. It still has a ridiculous fan base and following and all that kind of stuff. It still has people that are chomping at the bid to buy down here at these prices. You know, it still has technology that is extremely relevant to our future. You make all that case, but the pain that that everybody had to incur to get to this point, it's pretty ugly. It's pretty ugly and it's going to, you know, turn people to the other side. You know, but the products, the trading products that you can trade with this stuff, the the just some of the ways that you can take finance and do the most creative things that you have ever seen with it. I don't think that creativity goes away. It doesn't go away. It doesn't disappear. It doesn't vanish. If anything, it gets even stronger. The yeah. problem is the protection. It's almost like scams right now. Like I feel like the scam economy has grown to one of the largest economies in the world. 
And it's like right now being a scammer, AKA like infiltrating some companies or people and finding things about their lives that you can use, manipulate, take advantage of, that particular business has reached is reached peaks right now. Yeah. And if that's the kind of world that we're living in, then it's up to the customer. It's always up to the customer to protect themselves from these scams, right? Businesses are not going to do this for you. However, I'm going to throw this out there. Yeah. This does make the case for why a bank is necessary, right? So the the initial onset of crypto was to replace banks completely. Banks are useless. They take advantage of you. They take all your money and all this kind of stuff. But guess what? If the bank wasn't around, how the hell would you get a mortgage? If you want to get a mortgage in crypto, you have to have all the cash. You have to have at least 75% of the cash. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Like 70%, 80% of the world buys a home with a 3% down deposit. Who's going to give you that? Who's going? If there was no bank, who gives you the protection on your assets, you know, backed by the government and all this kind of stuff? Who gives you the mortgages? Who gives you access to all this kind of, you, you, what could we really do here? Does crypto really replace all that? And does it do it well enough? Mm. I don't think so. I don't think so at all. So this kind of makes the case for the banks to come back around, you know, and you kind of see that in the way that they're trading too. You know, a lot of the banks have been trading very, very aggressively. They, you yeah. know, every single day they're super bid, interest rates are going up. So obviously that's favorable for them. But I think a larger part of it is, we almost have faith again in yeah. our banking system, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I I hate to be the one to even say this because I hate Bank of America with all my intensity. <laughs> I don't I don't even like using that word, but they, you know, what, you know what you see is when you look at the marketing for banks, for crypto, for everything, it's all lies. It's all like we, we prioritize our customer first. You know, even crypto exchanges will do that. Even crypto exchanges that are failing will come out and say that on Twitter. The CEOs will come out and say that on Twitter after you fold it, after you know there's no money to give back to any of your customers. You go out and tell people that the customer is your number one priority. And the banks will tell you that every day, every day while they're taking overdraft fees from you, while they're doing all kinds of shady things. But they'll always tell you you're the you're the our number one priority. But when shit hits the fan, who gets hit? It's always, always, it's always the customers. It always is, you know? And we sit there and buy it hook, line, and sinker. But again, without these banks, crypto has shown us that these banks actually do provide a wealth of services and a wealth of protection. And hence why the SEC is a necessary entity. I mean, if there was an SEC for crypto, what would this have happened? I don't, I don't know. I don't know if there was a if there was a, if there was a serious regulating body that understood crypto. The SEC was there for eleven years. Bernie Madoff, one of the guys in my book, Frank Casey, True. Larry Markopoulos, and uh, they were going to every freaking office of the SEC True. and nothing for what eleven years. <laughs> But but it doesn't you know. seem like the SEC is properly manned either. There's yeah. there's not enough Agreed. funding. Like how could they go? They can't. They can't, they don't even have enough guys to answer the phone. Like how the hell are they going to go out to crypto? When I mean, most people shoot, at this understand? point, at this point, IRS is funded by the power that Powerball crap. You know they made that that Powerball. If somebody hit 
two billion, and uh, and IRS got probably like one point four billion out of that. One point three billion dollars. <laughs> Oh my God! I, I didn't know that they got. Of course, of course, they got half of it. They always do. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> so, so all right, we we're gonna go over to Twitter Space in a few minutes and have that all weaved into this conversation. I want to okay. speak to two books that you have. One of them is for free. You're all very lucky, people, because you can download it right off St. Lucie's website. The Red Pill is the name of that uh, ebook. It's a fantastic book. The other book is Options Made Simple, and that's on Amazon for a song. A lot of what you talk about in those books is mindset. You talk yeah. about, and even how you're handling this FTX loss. You know, the other day when we communicated quick on WhatsApp, you know, you were like, look, it's the price of business. That mindset of how to cope when loss happens, you talk about in both of these books, and you just have that kind of stoic philosophy that loss is part of trading. Tell us how that's something you came to terms with. I would say it's more of a recent thing. I think I think after I did ayahuasca in 2018, maybe, no, 2019, after that I don't know. You just kind of get you. Don't, you don't get numb to it. You just get smarter about it. You just accept and know that it's coming for you, and it's right around the corner for you at any time. So you just need to practice being smarter as a trader versus always just thinking about the trade, right? So let's relate it to something different, right? You look at you look at some of the best athletes, right? You have talent that has similar abilities, capabilities to some of the best athletes out there, but they don't have, they don't have the mindset that the best athletes do. They don't have the humility that the best athletes do. They don't have the personality that the best athletes do. So there's kind of like a combination. It's not good enough to be great at your craft. I mean, it's good. Don't get me wrong. Like yeah. You'd be fine, but it's not good enough. Right. So you, there's, there's other intangible qualities that you need to have, right? So you could be a great trader, just like um, reminiscence of a stock operator. What the what the, what was the name of that? Livermore. Livermore. Right. I mean Livermore. I mean the guy could see things and he could read tape better than anybody. But he still had his demons. He still had so many demons, and in the end, it consumed him anyway. You know what I mean? So you could be, you could be the best at your craft, but if you're if you're struggling emotionally with yourself or you got issues that you, you, you just haven't dealt with or haven't tried to understand, it's going to come back on you and it's going to come back on you even harder because you're supposed to succeed. You're good enough that you're supposed to now. Yeah. And now there's expectations. Now there's the whole world's looking at you, or at least you feel like the whole world's looking at you and, and you have to perform, right? And now all of a sudden there's all this pressure and you crumble, you know? So... There's some skills, intangible skills that you pick up along the way after seeing all these ups and downs. For me, it was just kind of realizing that as long as I'm producing and building a couple of good businesses and creating, you know, income, helping other people also build their income, you know, and you're kind of just creating a community, creating a world around you, a self-sustaining kind of world around you. If you're able to do that, then... If I lose a couple hundred thousand or a million here or there, like I'm not, 
I'm not dead. You know what I mean? I'm not dead. Whereas when I started out, if I lost that kind of money, that's how I felt. I felt like that. I felt like it was the end of the world. It yep. was the end of the world, you know? And then there's depression that comes after that. There's forget about depression. Then there's the climb back, right? How many people have failed? And then you never, you never see them again, right? They never try again. The failure was too, was too much on them. It's too much on them mentally. How the hell are you supposed to come back after that? You know, because you, you're holding so much weight on your shoulders. So I did some ayahuasca in 2019. And I think after that point, it was just like, I kind of adopted this who cares mentality, but not in this negative sort of way yeah. of who cares. Obviously, caring is extremely important, right? Responsibility is extremely important. You have to care but about what you're doing. Stride. You're letting the words how to take it in stride. Exactly. There's a duality to it. And the Hindus, the Hindus say it the best, right? At least in my opinion. And these were all the gurus that started all the yoga movement. And, you know, they were back in the 1700s, 1800s. They all said the same thing. They said, you have to be in a moment's notice. You have to be as attached as possible. As emo- you feel the emotion with all the intensity, but at the same time, you can leave it. You can leave it at a moment's notice and you can realize that it doesn't matter if you don't achieve whatever you were you're looking to achieve, or let's say it was love and the love disappears tomorrow and, and, and things change or whatever. It's the complete, the ability to be completely attached and experience all that is with being attached. And then at the same time, being so unattached that you can walk away and your life is still good. You have the experience, boom, it's okay. Everything's fine, you know? Nothing has happened. I just had an experience. That's all I did. That's all I had. That's why I think trading is like the best school of enlightenment there is. Yeah, I agree. Because, you know, there's not that many ways to feel that level of attachment. And and that's, I think it's so difficult though. Like the gurus there, they'll speak as if, if, if it was so easy. And it just doesn't make sense to most people, even to me these days, right? How can you be so attached to something? And so involved in it and so responsible for it. And even experiencing all those emotions that go along with being attached. Let's talk about love, right? Let's say you fall in love. That feeling of being in love and being attached to this person where you just you just want to be around them all the time. You just want to do everything with them all the time. But then in a moment's notice, if that person disappears, you're fine. It sounds so counterintuitive. It yeah. sounds so ridiculous. So there's a, I, I don't I wouldn't call call it hypocrisy or whatever to it because there are people that can that can do it i've seen it i've watched them i've probably done it maybe a couple of times i don't think i'm as trained as some of these guys are but sometimes it doesn't make sense because you know what happened you know where i find myself if i'm unattached right i'm usually just kind of dry you know i'm usually just kind of in an attitude where eh, I can't feel the emotions of being attached i'm just unattached to it right so i'm there but i'm not I'm not really there. I'm not giving it my all per se. There's an apathy to it. Totally. You know? So I haven't figured that out quite yet, you know? And and yet, I have to say, how you're navigating what you did lose with FTX seems to be you living the practice 
perfectly. You're you're you still me. moving forward with your life. You still Definitely. went to Aruba. You're still doing this podcast with me instead of, you know, under your blankets weeping as I would have been. <laughs> like you're indeed so maybe I'm maybe I'm better at it than I think. I don't give myself enough credit. That's something that I definitely do not do, you know. Well, I will argue that you should another time because we <laughs> have to go to Twitter spaces. But truly I feel your the way you do handle loss, I imagine has changed over the years. And it seems to me based on especially your focus on the emotional intelligence and how important you know that is to your trading is your secret sauce. All right, so we're going to move over to Twitter. Welcome everybody to this amazing conversation with Anand saying, Lucci, thank you so much for coming. Hopefully you guys are going to get a lot of questions answered today. All right. So good to have you here. And one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is always about mindset. I know how much you prioritize that, what you say about that being important to a trader's success. As an executive coach and trading coach, of course, that's something I advocate all the time, that mindset can have such a big impact on one's trading. But I also you know, felt it would be really valuable to have you speak and help traders understand where do we go from here with what's happened with FTX. So I know we just spoke a little bit about that on the video podcast portion we recorded, but if you don't mind repeating a little bit of yourself, just let's talk a little bit about FTX and what your advice would be to the traders and or investors that are here in our room now who are perhaps still kind of shaking their head over what just went down in a very short amount of time. I mean, it's still going down. It's still going down. Um, you know, this the the, the uh, ex CEO Sam Bankman Fried is still is still out there tweeting at large. It was it was reported actually that he took a plane to Argentina. These guys were in the Bahamas. They set up their shop in the Bahamas, and coincidentally, there's a, there's a good amount of people that travel back and forth from Puerto Rico to Bahamas. So the community in Bahamas, let's just say, is extremely small, and everybody knows each other just like it is just like it is in Puerto Rico. You know, so I've, I've, I've heard a good amount from what happens or, or you know, what the office is kind of like, the employees down there. You know, I've heard a good amount from the inside, so to speak. You know, but the guy's still out there. He's still tweeting. They don't have enough to uh, cover the customer funds, which I'm a customer and, and I couldn't get my money out in time. Actually, I'll go through a, 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 a trade. And the reason why I needed to stay in there was because... They have these products called tokenized stocks, right? So basically what, it, what they are, it's some form of paper that gives you ownership to some assets, right? So if you buy 100 shares of Tesla, you own 100 shares of Tesla, okay? Now, if you buy 100 shares of a tokenized stock, you don't technically own 100 shares of Tesla. I'm not sure what stake you actually do own, but they were able to take the asset of the shares of the company, tokenize them, put them on the blockchain basically, and then create these sort of futures products based around these assets. Now, I don't know the technicalities of these assets. Remember, they're being created by quants and people that are way smarter than we are. And how they build them, I have no freaking idea. However, because it was on FTX, they were able to offer a ridiculous amount of leverage, okay? 
because this is an unregulated environment, they operate outside the U.S. and all this kind of stuff. So I was using the tokenized stock to short GameStop because I didn't want to take up I didn't want to take up buying power in one of my main accounts, right? So I was like, all right, this is what I'm going to do. Because I'm using a good seven figures to sell options and trade and all that kind of stuff in U.S. equities, I'm just going to take a couple hundred grand, put it in FTX, and short the living shit out of GME, right? Because I can get 20 times leverage in there. So I can short 30,000 shares, 40,000 shares, 50,000 shares, sometimes even 100,000 shares of GME. And I'm like, this thing's going to 15 bucks. So I'm going to put that trade in FTX. I'm just going to hold it here until it plays out. Now, if you hold the coins on exchange, which is what I did, of course, because I'm, I'm an active trader in there, all that money was being put to work. You're at risk, right? For these kinds of things. So the cheesy thing to say in this kind of situation is don't leave your, your crypto on the exchange. The problem is, is this is FTX we were talking about, you know, so similar to the Bernie Madoffs and similar to the, all the other largest scams in the world. People just couldn't believe that it, that it could have happened. They were so present. They were so visible in everybody's life. I mean, you, you went to Miami, you went to a Miami Heat game, or you went to any game in Miami, you would see FTX. You went, to, you went to go see F1 Sports or whatever. You would see FTX. You went to go, you know, wherever the hell you wanted to go, you would see FTX. Baseball, like the umpires have freaking FTX on their shirts, man. You know, soccer teams had FTX on their shirts. You know, so you infiltrate so much and you're sitting in plain sight. And because of his aggressive trading, aggressive market making on his research arm of the business, which is called Alameda Research and Trading. And by the way, these guys produced billions of dollars in cash from market making, arbitrage and all this kind of stuff. This was Sam Bankman Freed's specialty. You know, he started at Jane Street Trading, which was in New York. And this was a very infamous prop trading firm uh, in New York City. And they did extremely well. They did extremely well. Of course, there's only, it only takes one trade or, or a couple bad situations to happen. They were over levered on basically a token that they hold in-house. So there was a lot of commingling of funds and everything. He was using the customer deposits to get the leverage. And then, of course... It was a house of cards. It was a house of cards at some point. So once people saw the balance sheet, they started to sell their FTT position and the value of that position went to friggin' nothing. And so did the value of the, of the company. We're talking about a company worth $15 billion vanished in a couple of days. Ridiculous. What do you feel the pieces are that we need to pay attention to? We were talking a little bit just about how we forget so quickly as people, perhaps traders forget so quickly, investors forget so quickly. What do you say to yourself even around this loss in a way that helps you prepare or potentially be careful the next time? Is there even anything here one could say to themselves? You know, it's like if I answer this question, given the conversation that we just had, Kim, it's kind of like, I guess, let me explain the, the, the conversation. The conversation we were having before we got on uh, uh, Twitter spaces was just how quickly we human beings kind of forget these really substantial events in our history. And it's not like we forget them, but we forget the feeling of them. We forget that they happen. We kind of forget that we kind of allow ourselves to be fooled again. You know, we kind of allow ourselves to believe right in these sort of myths out here. 
And it's a difficult thing. I think I think we as human beings, like we hear about these things. We want to feel connected to everybody else. So we're we love the trends. We love all that kind of stuff. We love being a part of it. And FTX was no different. But at the same time, it came off the backs of the Bernie Madoff or the 2008 banking crisis here where they duped everybody into mortgages and ridiculous variable rate interest nonsense and, you know, all for a buck. And we do these things over and over and over and over. And we seem to forget about them. And we seem to allow ourselves to to be in that situation again. So if I gave the advice of, hey, remember what happened 10 years ago? We're human, right? So being reminded of the fact that you should remember means automatically that you ain't going to freaking remember or you're not going to feel that way or you're not going to remember what it felt like. You're just going to easily roll right into the next thing like it was literally nothing, you know? So I think you have to move a lot quicker. I think you have to move a lot faster. I think you have to think about risk way more than you do about the actual trade, about all that kind of stuff. I think you have to play defense a lot. I think you have to learn these things. I think you have to really learn how to play defense, how to not be in the game, how to trust your instincts. You know, but again, these are all things that human beings try to do well and will get caught. And it's, I think the real lesson here is, is to say to yourself that it's okay, man. It's okay. If you do get caught up in some of these things, it's okay. You know, it's not the end of the world. You're going to survive. You'll be fine. You just got to pick up the pieces again kind of thing. You know, I think that's the better yeah. advice. Yeah, it's a really, really good advice. And also very much of like an enlightened experience advice because there's a stoicism to loss is part of trading and protecting, like you said, being sure that your risk is something you can manage so that you don't find yourself dead, so to speak. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. We're talking about FTX, but we're also talking about mindset. One of the things Anand is a huge advocate of is self-discovery and that sense of being self-reflective, which as an executive coach and trading coach, I can tell you I'm all about. He speaks a lot in his two books, The Red Pill and Options Made Simple, about the importance of this. He even says in Options Made Simple that 90% of trading is mental. And it's about finding out about yourself as much as it is about the mechanics. These are all quotes from your book. I have about 15 bullets, and they're all things that I'm 100% in agreement around. Where do you feel that wisdom came and landed for you? You've been trading a long time now, 16 years. Where and when did that start to all kind of gel for you, for yourself and your own journey? Now that I had some time to think about this, I, it started super early. To be honest, it wasn't even it wasn't even my credits, so to speak. The prop firm that I started at, they never actually taught trading. They never actually taught trading. You know what they taught? They said the only books that you should ever read about trading are psychology books, right? So they it was required reading that everybody had to read Mark Douglas, Trading in the Zone, right? That was the one book that everybody had to read, right? Before you even started, like you had to read that book. And then once you read that book, and then you play the game and you start the game, so to speak. Then you start to realize like, oh, 
I'm forcing trades 90% of the time, or I'm overtrading 90% of the time, or I'm oversized 90% of the time, or, you know, I'm bringing my emotions to the market or all that kind of stuff. Like you start realizing it in real time. So pretty soon after I started trading, maybe a year or change, at some point you start to realize like, okay, you can play the game, right? I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll make a tennis reference to this one. I play a lot of tennis. I happen to be in Aruba right now playing in a beach tennis tournament. I play on Friday over the weekend and I, I played a higher level than me. So I played a much higher level than me and I got smoked. I got smoked. But you know what I realized? I realized like I'm not, I can get to that level. You start to see what you have to do to get to that level. And all it is, is more attention, more awareness and more practice, right? But in the sense of mind and body, right? So you can have all the technique in the world, but if your mind is not in sync with your body, then you're off a split step or you're off a couple of seconds or you're, you know, you're going to make the wrong shot when you need to make a different shot. You're going to do a lot of, a lot of things that, you know, you shouldn't have done kind of thing. Similar to trading, right? Tennis and trading to me are extremely similar in the sense that you have to make a decision within a split second, less than a second, and you have to live with the consequences of that decision, right? And then you have to calculate so many other things. Where are my feet? Is my body turned? You know, how much spin do I want to put on the ball? Where the hell do I want to put it? How much speed are we talking about? Where is the player on the other side? Is he at the back side of the court? Is he at the front side of the court? Do I have room for a passing shot, right? So you got to think about like 100 things at one time. And your body has to instinctually make a decision in a fraction of a second, and your instinct has to be trained. So in my head, when I'm looking at these better players, I can play as good as them. My body can play as good as them. But my mind and my body, my, that connection is not there yet. It's not trained yet. It's not trained to think at the speed that they're able to think at, and they're able to make those decisions at. So, you know, that's kind of where I got down to, because once you once you can make a winning trade, then that's it. Like you can replicate that shit over and over and over again. It's, it's not about finding the winning trade. That's never the problem. Right. We got plenty of winners. I got plenty of winners every freaking day. I can find a winner every day. That's not the problem. Can I not put myself in a loser? Can I sell something when I need to sell something? Are my instincts allowing me to do so or are my emotions taking over? And am I making decisions that I shouldn't be making? Because now I'm, well, you know, swamped with emotion here. So that's kind of, it started pretty early for me. And now I think, I think I'm evolving to a place where I want to create a world of hybrid automation and hand-click trading. Because I think there's some things that human beings just can't do well 100% of the time, even 90% of the time, even 80% of the time, 70% of the time, you know, and imagine just being able to be 10% better, 5% better. What does that look like in your bottom line at the end of the year? You know, so that's kind of where I'm at these days. You could go to 100% automated trading, right? You could, you could play that game. But if you play that game, remember, now you're a part of that game. And that game requires different inputs. You got to learn how to code. You got to learn how to change your code all the time. You got to learn how to adapt it all the time. Otherwise, shit, I invested several million dollars while I was in New York running that hedge fund into automated high-frequency strategies with guys that graduated from you know, Yale and went to Goldman Sachs and worked as quants at UBS and all those people. And guess what? Their code was a fold after a year or two years 
Why? Because your, your strategy is only good as your code. So if you're not able to see the market for what it is, then you can't write good code on it. So it's like, do you want to be a 100% human hand trader? Which can work, sure. You know, I've done pretty well at it. Am I, am I at my best? Hell no. Am I even close? Hell no. You know, or do you go 100% automated? No. You know, so I want to I want to find a 50-50 somewhere in the middle. Yeah. That, that other thing you speak to in your books and as you were naming earlier, just some of the places of the challenge is how to deal with loss. That's what I'm also so impressed with, how you've navigated FTX, your, your stoicism of knowing that that's part of being a trader. And even in your books, you talk about getting comfortable with loss, expect to fail every single day as a trader and get comfortable with it, get familiar with it so that it doesn't throw you off your game. That I think is where we're talking enlightenment, right? Consciousness, being able to be attached and unattached at the same time we were talking about before. So just talk a little bit about how you found your way to taking a loss like you did with FTX in stride. Yeah, I mean, I'm so, I don't want to say I'm like, I'm numb to it, of course. Of course, it's, you know, a loss is a loss. But, you know, after a while, after a good amount of time, after after seeing enough out there, you start building your life around these sort of events, right? You start playing the game strategically, knowing that at some point this is going to happen. You know, something like an FTX is going to happen. Something like a bad loss or something like that is going to happen to you. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming for all of us, you know, if it hasn't already. And, you know, you start thinking strategically. You start thinking smarter after you've sat in the face of one of those things and you felt all those feelings, the depression, the the overeating that you may do, the sadness, the, the climbing back to the top, which is arguably the most difficult piece of that process. You know, you after seeing that several times, you start to realize that it's about the longevity. It, it really is about the longevity. How do you preserve your seat at the table? That's the most important thing. At the end of the day, that is the most important thing. How do you preserve that seat at the table? And in order to do that, you start finding new ways to do risk management, not on your trading per se, but on yourself. You know what I mean? So if you feel certain things in your body, you start to be aware of them. Everything is about self-awareness at the end of the day. So as you become more self-aware, and I think, I think 2018, 2019, I became super self-aware. I kind of went through this, this process within kind of thing. And, and, you know, you start to realize what's really important, what's not important. You kind of build upon that. So a loser here and there, it's never going to kill me. It's not even going to come close. Even if it's a big loser... At the end of the day, like I'm still strong. Can I ask you what happened in 2019 during that period where the self-awareness grew even exponentially? Oh, oh yeah. I think I was on my I was on the climb back, big blow up in 2015. 2016 and 2017 were just straight depression for me. It was just a blackout period, man. I think I slept till like eleven o'clock in the morning every single day. I didn't want to get up. I didn't even want to do anything. You know, it was just kind of like you're rolling through each day, almost as if you weren't there or you didn't want to be there. And then like you start to, you've done so much self-loathing that you can't go down anymore. 
And then you start to you start to realize, like, all right, screw it. Let me give it another shot. You know what? Believe it or not, it was a girl. It was a girl that I met. I thought she was the one. She kind of, you know, the fact that she appeared gave me this sort of lift, right? And it was just kind of this kick in the ass, like, all right, bro, how the hell are you even going to support a family if you're at your house and you're doing nothing? So it was just kind of this slap to the face kind of thing where it was just like, all right, you got to get up and do something. And then once you pick yourself back up and you start to forget about, you know, those things that brought you down and you start not feeding those emotions, the depression emotions, the, you know, the sadness and the the self-loathing and all that kind of stuff. Once you start to feed the different side, you go to workout, you start running again. I think I started running again. I got up to like seven, eight miles, which I've never been able to do ever. And then once I got to eight miles, it was like nothing. I could have done like 12. I could have done 13. And I remember that day I was I was sitting there looking at my body. I was sitting there at, I was sitting there at home, coming home after 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 running eight miles and stopping. Like I had stopped at two miles, three miles, four miles for months. You know what I mean? It was just kind of that mental stop that you just kind of do to yourself. And you're just like, oh, I can't go anymore. But in reality, your body can your body can push through some shit that you have no idea. And trading is a way to find where your body, what your body limits are and what your mind limits are, right? So once I was able to push through that, it was just kind of like, all right, man, you got your confidence back. You got your swag back. You know what I mean? I started to walk around a little bit more. I started to go out a little bit more. I started to, you know, I started to have fun again. And then once all those things came back, man, you couldn't stop me. Then I was like, all right, I know where this is going. I know I'm about to hit it again, right? So I knew it was coming. So I was like, screw it. I'm moving to Puerto Rico. I'm going to be so smart about this. I'm moving to Puerto Rico. I'm going to go ahead and, and set up my, my structure, set up all my businesses so airtight so that even if I lose, I can't freaking lose. And by that time that I moved down there, maybe three, four, five months after, I made a couple million. And then you know what happened to me, Kim? After I made that, I made a couple, I didn't feel anything. Like I didn't feel good. I didn't feel bad. I just didn't feel anything. So then it was like, all right, you did all this. Again, maybe I don't give myself enough credit or whatever, but you did all this. You went through all this shit to feel nothing. You know, so then I kind of went through this period of just self, self-inspection kind of thing and just going within and trying to figure out what makes me tick and, you know, where I come from, what my childhood was and, you know, all these things about my, my parents, my grandparents. You know, you see, you start to look at all that stuff. You start to see where all the programming came from and why we are the way we are. And then you look beyond all this stuff and you realize, like, I can live a great life with nothing. I can live a great life with nothing. I can live a great life with everything. And when I say nothing and everything, like, I'm kind of talking about materialistic things and money, per se. So then after that, once I hit that place, you know, a loss might hit me for 30 minutes or an hour or something like that. But then I'm over it all good yeah thank you so much for being so honest about that journey you went through because i i suspect more people go through it than we realize but very few people are willing to be so honest about how dark it can get during those patches of loss patches of grief depression what do you feel is this, I understand that this woman came into your life and then that kind of like, you know, she said slapped you in the face with like, hey, do I want to go go for this, so to speak? But what else do you think facilitated your, do you think perhaps just going through the journey of that darkness 
just has to be gone through for some people, for all of us, perhaps at different points in our life. And that gets us to the other side. Yeah, some would argue that you don't have to. If you have discipline, you can avoid those pitfalls, right? So if you have plenty of discipline, something as easy as going to the gym on, on a regular basis can kind of avoid you feeding into... The whole problem is us spending too much time feeding into emotions that don't serve us and that will never serve us, you know? And we feed into these things. We think we're failures. We think we're, we've lost and we can't get back. We think so many things about ourselves that are just not true, you know? And then even on the flip side, too, we think so many arrogant things about ourselves that are just not true as well, you know? So we sit there in this sort of, in our sort of subconscious, and then these create these emotions that we sit there and we feed into. And in reality, like if you can bypass all that and stay disciplined and just do what you have to do, regardless of what emotions you feel, it kind of does cut that curve down. It kind of does cut that curve down quite a bit. And I think that's where we see the disparity between the human being, right? There's some human beings, especially kids, you know, they get bullied. All of a sudden they commit suicide. And I'm talking about extreme cases here. Things that happen in their lives, they, they, you know, they go ahead and kill themselves or, you know, they go to the extreme either way, you know, one way or the other. That muscle isn't strengthened in a lot of young people. Exactly. So it's that kind of thing, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. But you can avoid some of that by just staying disciplined. But some people, it's harder than others. For me, it's extremely difficult to stay disciplined. I'm telling you, it is extremely difficult. And sometimes I look at other people and I'm like, how the hell can these people be so freaking disciplined and I can't get even an ounce of that shit? You know what I mean? So sometimes I'll get super frustrated at myself and be like, dude, why can't you just, you know, why can't you just do that? But we're all different. We're all different. And you can't be... I have to say, sometimes I'll be honest with you, what appears to the surface or to an outsider as discipline could actually be their version of numbing themselves. Sure. There's that as well, you know. Right? So it looks like discipline, but if that becomes a way that they numb out the hard to be with feelings. And the other thing too, I just want to speak to, and I talked about this when we did that panel conversation at Traders for a Cause, is that inner voice that keeps us feeling shitty about ourselves is that inner saboteur, inner critic, inner gremlin. And one of the most profound books I've read for my own journey, never mind what I recommend to clients, is that book, Taming Your Gremlin, to be able to finally recognize that your own inner voice is not the one that's making you feel shitty about yourself. It's usually that inner critic. Absolutely. Absolutely. So learning how to control that is also has also been super pivotal, pivotal, sorry, in my, you know, recent years. It's just realizing some of the emotions that I have. It's just waking up and being like, hold on, hold on, hold on. What am I even feeling right now? Why am I even choosing to feel this right now? Let's move on. Let's move on and let's let's go and try to feel something else. You can choose it. You can choose it. So I'm starting to flex those muscles now, you know? And I'm talking about proverbial or the subconscious muscles. I'm, I'm not walking around here with a bunch of muscles and all that. <laughs> <laughs> the most important muscles you're working on. Exactly. You've already done so much work on them. I know we're a little bit over time, but I want to get questions from all of our, you know, people in the room just to revisit, guys. This is part two of conversation and podcast with Sanglucci, also known as Anand Sangfi. 
and we are going to be releasing this podcast, which includes a Zoom video part one that he and I recorded before we came to Twitter space. If you guys do have questions for him, please raise your hands in the Twitter space and I'll be able to give you the microphone. One of the things I did want to speak to is there's two books available for you that he's written that are amazing. One of them is called The Red Pill. That's for free on his website, sanglucci.com. Highly recommend it. No jargon, straight from the hip. Also fucking hilarious, excuse my French. Options <laughs> Made Simple, which is on Amazon. Well, I'm hoping to get some questions, especially from you, Bryce. I'm going to call you out for a question. I want to also have you just tell a story that last night when I read it in this book, I literally snorted. I laughed so hard. I was all by myself. I have a few, a few people who are looking at me like, this girl has lost her mind. Please tell us the Usher story. Potential versus reality. Because that story is hilarious. I've never heard that before. Oh, man. I remember... Please. I remember. I forget who told. I forget who told it to me. Of course, we're just passing this stuff on. I think it was a different. I think it was a different story. And then you know you have to change the the names, right? Because this day oh, and age, true. ain't nobody gonna remember Usher. Yeah. Sure. You know what I mean? So you gotta change it to like a Drake or something like that. I'll remember Usher. All right, who could be? Who's today's modern version of Usher? For God's sake. <laughs> Let's call, let's, call it, let's call it Drake for lack of a better option. The joke was like, what's the difference between reality and perception, right? And it's like people perceive so many things about themselves, right? And they say, oh, I can do this and I can do that, you know? But the reality is it's a completely different situation, right? So I think the joke went something like, you know, the son goes to the father, hey, what's the difference between reality and perception? And the father tells the son, okay, son, you really want to know the difference between these two things. Okay, go go ask your mother if she would sleep with Drake for $2 million, right? So the son goes and asks, the son goes and asks mom, mom, would you sleep with Drake for, for $2 million? And she's like, I don't even know who he is, but we need the money. So yeah, yeah, fine. I'd sleep with Drake for $2 million. And uh, so the son goes back to the father, to the father and, and tells the father. And the father's like, all right, son, now go ask your sister. Go ask your sister if she would sleep with Drake for $2 million. And um, son goes to the sister and asks the sister, hey, would you sleep with Drake for $2 million? And she says, fuck yeah, of course I'm going to Of course I'll sleep with Drake for $2 million. You don't even have to give me the $2 million. I'll take, I'll sleep with Drake for free, but I'll get $2 million. Of course, of course. Son goes back to the father. Tells the father, and the father says, all right, son, here's the difference between reality and perception, right? Potentially. And it actually, it was reality and potential, right? Potential. Potentially. Potentially. We're sitting on $4 million. Potentially, we're sitting on $4 million, son. But in reality, we just got a couple of holes living in this house. That's the reality of the situation. <laughs> oh, my God. It's just, it's brilliant because that potential... Of on four million dollars, I think a lot of traders tell themselves all the time, yes. and that's yes. what they look. They're looking at their charts from the perspective of I could potentially make this, I could potentially make that, but the reality <laughs> is something far more crude. Something far more crude, indeed. I totally forgot about that joke. I didn't know I even put it in there. Wow, I put it in there. Wow. You know what else I was really good at, man? I was really good at writing. I stopped writing. I can't sit down anymore. 
and just put the words on the paper. My mind's in so many different places. I just can't sit down and put words on paper. So I think I'll live a little bit more. And when I'm done with all this shit, I'll, I'll write part two, part three or something. You're an excellent writer, truly. I read a lot. And I was stunned at how you used no jargon. You write so clear and so, it's so enlightening and so simple. And I don't mean simple in any way, but as a compliment. Unfortunately, I think a lot of people, when they try to explain this universe, use very complex $3 words and it just emanates people and it's not necessary. So they're just really clean. I've laughed out loud at least three or four times between the two of these books, which doesn't happen often, I have to tell you. So brilliant. And look, we have Nate in the room. Hi, Nate. One of the questions I had for you, and what is your advice to the seasoned traders that are out there now who are struggling in this market? Hell, before FTX, right, they've been struggling. What is it that you yourself practice or advocate to the traders that are in your community well, honestly, for the seasoned cats, they'll always be a little bit more dry. It's like they've been around the block before. They just need to remember who they are, right? And we lose our self-confidence sometimes and we lose we lose sight of what we're good at in a market that we don't understand. So I think the best advice is just if you're in that place and you're sitting in that place right now, take it easy, man. Take it easy. Just sit off the keys as much as you possibly can. The problem is, is that we don't do that, right? We're so good because... We sit there and we grind it out, you know, so most of them are just going to be grinders anyway. So they'll just grind right through this and they'll make it out eventually. You know what I mean? So just remember, you're, you're going to make it out. You will make it out fine at some point. You know what I mean? You just got to survive. Some periods are just more for survival and holding ground versus trying to produce and really trying to uh, hit home runs and things like that. Nate, I want to ask him a question, but I'm just curious, Anand, are you a fan of that grinding through this, or would you be more of an advocate of taking this opportunity to either develop a new strategy or just rest and cut your breath? I mean, my my issue is, and again, this is this is my next evolution, is not to spread myself out too thin. So right now I have like six other businesses. And when you go through a downturn like this and you have all these other businesses, it worked for a while because if you had a business that wasn't working, then chances are you've got another business that is working, right? That's what diversification is. But if you hit a, if you hit a market like this, there's a high probability that ain't, ain't none of them working. <laughs> you know what I mean? And if, if none of them are working, you know, now you're over levered just like everybody else is. Imagine somebody who has 50 Airbnbs and all of a sudden by the end of the year, let's say by the middle of next year, Airbnb prices tank by 40%. These guys are over levered on their properties. They ain't going to be able to pay the mortgages. And now all of a sudden you got a fire sale, right? Same shit that happens in crypto, which happens all the time. Company falls. Now you got a fire sale. You know, so those things are happening en masse right now. Those things are happening a lot right now in so many different businesses, people who just got over levered. So... But again, here we go again with the human being question. Are we wired to do this? If we're wired to be over levered, then shit, this is what happens every single time. And we just forget about it. We forgot about dot-com boom, where bullshit companies were valued at 100x and 200x. And now here we are sitting, sitting here with crypto companies, ICOs, 
that are worth billions of dollars. They haven't produced a single dime in freaking revenue, and they have no actual concept whatsoever. We hit that place. We hit that place again. We hit that place again. And again, we want to believe. We want to overextend. We're wired as such. You know, so then it brings in the human being questions. So I think for me, my next evolution yeah. is, is number one, give myself more credit. Don't be too hard on yourself. And then number two, try your best to not get over levered, man. Try your best. Yeah. Nate, Mike, it's yours. I just came in late. I was uh, just listening to you guys talking, but no, I agree with a lot of, uh, well, pretty much everything that was saying was saying. And, and especially right now, I think probably the most important time to save your cash and, and not bleed out. A lot of people start to chase what was working and chase what, you know, they were good at in, in maybe a, a month ago, two months ago, six months ago. And before they really take a step back, their accounts already, you know, half or, or down 75% or whatever. So I think capital preservation is, is obviously the most important aspect right now. And then when your market comes back, that's when you strike. And uh, that's, you know, for me, the last three, four weeks have probably been the slowest all year. But then this week, the last three days have been some of the best days that I've had in, in maybe like four or five months. So you just have to kind of get good at sitting on your hands when things are not in your wheelhouse. And I used to have a lot of trouble doing that, but I think the best traders are literally off the market right now, not pushing buttons just because, you know, that's what they know to do. Saying, what are your thoughts about what Nate's saying? Nate's the man. Nate's the man. When did you guys meet? When did you what guys the man, meet? Whatever, the man spits gold. Uh, when, when, when did we meet? We met in New Hampshire. I don't know where the hell we met, Nate. I really don't know. I really yeah, don't. I don't, I don't know if it used to be me. like... I don't know if it was back with like Sykes type stuff or if it was something yeah. when you were just were on Twitter and you're like, Hey, I'm coming home. And then it was, uh, I mean, I know we did dinner in like Andover or something that, that night when you had first come home. We after knew long... each other before. We knew each other before. I yeah, think we... yeah. 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 But that it's... was really like when we started to trade together and, you know, do the office and stuff. That was, I don't even know how long ago that was. Yeah, man. But... Yeah, man. Highly recommend Nate's crew over there at Investors Live. I've actually started to pop into their chat quite often, actually. So uh, I'll listen to the stuff that they're trading. These guys trade so many different freaking names at the same fucking time. I don't know how they do it. Man. I only look at one or two. Like Nate's over there trading like six names. And then everybody in the room is just shouting out so much different stuff. So I got I to gotta learn how to drill down my my focus but they do great scans and i've started to look at different strategies because of course in this type of market you got to look at different stuff you know so i've actually started to look at this, the small cap world the micro cap world mid cap stuff and you know start to use my tape reading skills for some of that stuff so shout always big shout out to nate Such a good I'm excited about tomorrow. I'm going to be doing a webinar for Investors Underground at 6.30 p.m. Eastern tomorrow. So I'm very right. excited and just looking forward to being in that amazing room. Uh, Nate's group, the, the members that are there are just, man, they just really have each other's backs. And I really yeah. think that comes from the leader down. And I imagine that's the case for you too, Anand. Like you yeah. guys are the real deals. The they got mod like he's got he's got he's got heavy hitters in there. So it's not only Nate. You're getting a list of solid traders that are in there every single day. And then you know what I found out too. And again, this is all from me being in Puerto Rico, sitting on a desk. And by the way, I came up with this whole concept. I came up with the whole concept for TradeSpace because of sitting next to Nate. Like that was the impetus for 
the whole idea of trade space. Because sitting next to Nate, you know, it's not like we spoke to each other every single second, but it was just sharing what we were trading. It was just talking. It's just they're just the random conversations, you know, that we would have during the day. And then just even going to lunch together and just we it was just me and him in that office of his in New Hampshire. And we would just well, sit there and we just what's that? Let me let me say this. When you say it in the red pill, you said the three top important things to do. Find a community, start yeah. working on yourself, get your finances in order. So yeah. what was it about your time together that facilitated that clarity that that community aspect benefited your trading, both of you, if you're if you're cool answer, yeah. Yeah. It's just what it was. So now picture in Puerto Rico, right? You got or picture anywhere. You got 15, 16 desks, right? Everybody has a bunch of monitors. Everybody's trading different things and everybody's just kind of at, interacting. You know what I mean? It's just these intangible moments that you cannot put a price on. You cannot put a number on. You cannot put a service on, right? Like I can't sit there and charge a subscription service for it because you don't know what it is until you feel it, until you feel the energy. And then when you're there on a desk where truly everybody's just kind of real trader and they're just doing what they do, but they're doing it next to people who are real traders as well, who can support each other, who can at least just kind of talk to each other, who can spend time together. You can join families and things like that. You know, then it becomes a much more fulfilling experience just be, to be a trader. Right now to be a trader and you're sitting at your house or you're sitting there on your phone and all that kind of stuff. You don't really, you know, you got people that you're talking to in a fucking chat room. Okay, fine. But we're not, we're not so detached like some of these young kids who are having digital relationships with people who are 2,000 miles away or they just live on TikTok and things like that. There's an intangible value to sitting next to somebody who trades. And it doesn't really matter what level that they are at. It just matters that they're serious and that they want to add value to a community. That's really all that it means. And they had some other, some, some of his other buddies in there in the office too, you know, and we'd have some really good days in there. And that was the impetus. That was what started the idea for trade space to me. Now I want to put one everywhere. I really want to put one everywhere, but I want to start outside of the U S I want to start in Latin America, Mexico city, DR, Colombia, you know, London, Africa, India, you know, a lot of different places. Because there's so much you can learn, man. I was sitting next to this kid who trades crypto. He's 23. The kid showed me these futures products. And immediately I was like, this shit exists. Are you kidding me? I put a $10,000 account up and I made a million bucks in three months, you know, just because of that kid sitting next to me. And I didn't know this kid. I didn't know this kid, but he was sitting next to me. And that was enough. We were family. We are family. You know what I mean? I can hit him up. He can hit me up. I can hit Nate up anytime. You sit in a community like that, you become family. And that is what gives you the value over time. Forget about right now. Over time, it's what gives you the value. Like Nate and I have such a really, such, such a dope relationship over the years. We hit each other up for biz. We hit each other for family shit. We hit, each up to, we hit each other up to talk about kids. You know, the boys got advice. I got advice. You know, you never know. You never know. But you have these people in your wheelhouse. And everything is about resources and information. If you don't have that shit, man, you punting around here with, with you know, it's going to be tough for you. 
tell us about your trading space for those who are interested. What do they need to know? How did they get in touch with you to be considered? Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it really is just a co-working space. That's it. It works just like a co-working space. So there's there's to be considered. I have like a proprietary futures trading arm where I'll allow you to trade under, you know, my leverage or, or, or the company's account. You know, if you show me some good data and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, that's a whole nother thing. But it works just like a co-working space. Anybody can show up. Go to tradespace.us. Go ahead and register and you can book and you can take a look at the calendar, see what's available and bring your and bring your ass down to PR. Just come have some fun with us. PR is a beautiful place. We trade. We go to the beach. We play tennis. Oh, the beach is beautiful. One of, Bring five minutes away. One of, the things you, one of the things you did during that hurricane that happened was you opened up that office to let people come in and take showers and, you know, just yeah. have a space to have electricity and charge. Your sensitivity to giving back is is really big. I'm just curious when has that always been a part of kind of how you rolled? Did it is it something you realized the importance of as you got older? It just feels like you really come from a place of generosity. So even how you are with traders and the way you respond to them on Twitter, talk a little bit about that if you would. I think I've always given back to the trading community per se, just because I don't like how the trading community gets taken advantage of on a on a daily basis by scammers and by financial quote unquote gurus, you know, and all that kind of stuff. It's like it's like a, it's a difficult place. Finance, I think, in general is is difficult for the regular retail person, you know. And um, I think I've always given back from that sense, but I've never. I've always been relatively selfish per se. I think I think I think maybe after 2018, 2019 is when I I really changed, you know, some of that, some of that selfishness into unselfishness. I'm still kind of selfish to be quite honest, but it's a little bit more unselfishness per se. I mean, both Nate and I would love we we love doing these kinds of things now because we we get more purpose out of them. Like right now, I got a bunch of kids in the office. Young kids are super smart. They got so many skills. They don't want to go to the States, you know, to find jobs because they, they don't want to be away from their families, you know, but at the same time, they can't find jobs in PR because there's not too many opportunities over there, you know, so I got a bunch of kids at the office. So I'm, I'm always, I always roll around with a bunch of, with a, with a bunch of the young bucks, man, you know, because some of the young bucks, when they hit, when they hit, they fly, man. So I like having a bunch of young bucks around me. And that keeps me young too. It keeps me keeps me around. I mean, the kid that I'm playing beach tennis with over here, he's 19. The kid's playing with the best players in the world, and the kid's, you know, he's just a regular kid from a regular kid from Puerto Rico, and he's he's super smart, super athletic, and he's 19. I'm double his age. You know what I mean? I'm just trying to keep up. That's it. One of the things you say a lot, you talk about how the market's bigger and more powerful than any individual trader and that the respect of that awesome power can be used to a trader's advantage. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Rephrase that one for me. Where, where did you, where did you catch that one? Sure. This is in options made simple. You talk a lot mm -hmm. about how the respect, so to speak, that the market is worthy of at all times, in spite yeah. of how big or successful a trader may get. That's oh, yeah. The importance. 100%. They have a saying in Puerto Rico. It's called respete el agua, right? And that means like respect the water, right? The water is 
a beautiful, calming thing, but at the same time, like it's a very dangerous force. And if you don't, if you don't respect it, if you're driving a boat, for example, or you're you're on a jet, you're on a jet ski, or you know you're on a paddleboard, or you're in the rainforest, for example, in in some water, and all of a sudden it starts to rain, the flood warnings will go out, and and some of the you know, and some of the some of the rivers will rise really, really, really rapidly, and you have to you have to respect this water because there are forces beyond your control. There are things that you cannot that you cannot foresee. There are things there are things that you cannot plan for. It is not a a constant thing. You know, it is not a consistent thing. Water is always changing. Markets are always changing. If you don't respect it, no matter how you know, no matter how far you've gotten, it doesn't matter. We've seen people reach billions of dollars and lose it overnight. So you think you making you know, 10 mil, five mil or whatever is, is something at the end of the day, you are just a number. It is just a number. You are, are, are responsible for how you feel and what you feel your worth is and all that kind of stuff, despite the money that you may or may not have, you know? So at the end of the day, your card can be pulled tomorrow, you know, today in the moment right after, you know, so you, you, you have to respect that. We're talking to Tang Lunshi, which is part two of a podcast with the Wall Street Coach. I'm Kiman Curtin, and this will be released in two parts because we got to do some video conversation with Tang Lunshi. If anybody has any questions, please raise your hands in the room, and I'll be able to give you the microphone. We've kept you a really long time. I'm going to start to wind it down. I appreciate you taking some you know, time away from being in Aruba and enjoying it to be a contribution to all the traders that are listening to us now. So thank you so much, Anand. In the meantime, one question left that I wanted to ask you to talk about is this concept you speak about that trading can become so even more difficult if you're seeking money alone. And you talk about that in the red pill a little bit. See If you would just elaborate how that can kind of get in the way and how even you yourself kind of journey past that to kind of transcend it, if you will. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, uh, Nate and I will talk about this, you know, all the time. And some of the best traders that that I'll speak to, this is the main thing that they talk about, you know. I remember on the plane back from Vegas, me and Nate, I think we're talking to, uh, I think it was Kellogg, maybe. I think it was Kellogg and his wife or fiance. I think Jack was talking about more, you know, getting away from the markets a little bit more, working on himself a little bit more. And when you're young, you know, when you're young, when you're super young, you know, 20, like Jack, I think is 24, 25 even or something like that, you know, has been doing really well. You know, when you're that young, you have tunnel vision. You know what I'm saying? You want what you want. You're going after what you want. And that's it. You know, you don't see anything else. You don't see anything else. And then when you hit it, and when you hit it, that's when your real life starts, right? That's when you really realize like, holy shit, holy shit. Now I got to figure out, number one, what the hell to do with it. Now I got to figure out how to live a life, right? Because you've been doing this one thing for so long, all day, every day, you kind of forgot about yourself, who you are, who you are outside of that, right? You have things that made you you before trading came along. And you're always going to go back to those things. You are always going to go back to those things. Mark my words, you will always, always go back to those things, whether you like playing guitar or you like hanging out with your friends or you know, whatever the hell it is. You're always going to go back to that because besides the money, that's who you are. You know. So again, very easy to forget in the middle of the, the money chase, you know, but you got to try hard not to lose yourself. And if you do, it's okay. 
there's plenty of time to find yourself too, you know, and there's plenty of ways to do it. This has been an amazing conversation. I can't thank you enough for coming in here and being so willing to share so much of your wisdom. You have so much humility and such an excellent sense of humor. You never take yourself too seriously, which is just so refreshing. I just really appreciate your your whole kind of modus operandi. It's really quite special. So just thank you for today so, so much. Thank you very much for inviting me. I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go catch some beach tennis games and uh, enjoy Aruba. Enjoy, enjoy it, and take good care and aloha for now. All right, take care, Kim. Thank you. This has been the Wall Street Coach Podcast with Kim Ann Curtin. You can find out more about her and her team online at thewallstreetcoach.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please consider leaving a five-star review on iTunes. Thank you for listening.